So chapter 4, starting at verse 1 down to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of, fullness of Christ. Then we will be no longer, sorry, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all, in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Well, let's pray. Uh, Grace God, we want to thank you for your word. And thank you so much, Father God, that uh, you have revealed yourself so clearly and your will for your church. Father, we pray now that uh, as we focus on your word, that you would be uh, teaching us, nourishing us, that uh, we would grow to maturity as the body of Christ, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this week, uh, hundreds of Presbyterian church leaders will be gathering together in Sydney for the uh, annual General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church. It's uh, held at the uh, Presbyterian Ladies' College at Croydon, and one of the good things about uh, PLC Croydon is that there's plenty of good coffee shops uh, around the vicinity and so uh, when the sessions get boring uh, the ministers just very um, <coughs> sort of subtly uh, make their way out and head towards those coffee shops uh, and uh, over a good espresso what do you think ministers tend to talk about well the question that always comes up is how's church going and to be honest I, I find that an awkward question sometimes I kind of think well how long have you got you know <laughs> how do you answer a question like that and, and we tend to talk about um, respond by talking about tangible things but things that you can touch that you can see 
things that you can attach a number to. So, you know, how's church going? Well, yeah, it's going good. You know, we've picked up five new families in the last 12 months or, yeah, it's going okay. We're just about to start the new building project or, oh, well, you know, finances are a bit low. Actually, that's every church. <laughs> that's every church without exception. Uh, or, you know, we, you might say, well, we've, uh, you know, we've just put on a second minister uh, or, um, yeah, we've just had another person leave to go to theological college. And so you, you get the idea, don't you, that um, we, we talk about things that we can attach a quantity to. Uh, now, that's great um, because, I, I mean, I love hearing the stories about how things are going. About, we, I love to hear the joys. I love to hear the struggles. And sometimes those superficial starting answers can lead to us eventually getting to talk about some real issues about, you know, how's church really going? But we as Christians, I think we can tend to measure success by numbers, can't we? Um, it, that's understandable because we want more people to get to know Jesus. Uh, it's understandable because we want God's church to grow. Uh, the Bible itself attaches numbers uh, for example, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we're told that 3,000 people were added to the church on that one day. Oh, give us that again, hey. Uh, so the Bible itself attaches numbers to uh, church life. And yet when the Apostle Paul set a growth goal for the church in Ephesus, uh, there was no number attached uh, he didn't say to the Ephesian Christians, look, let's aim to increase uh, church numbers by 15%, you know, in this year. He didn't say that. Uh, instead, uh, the goal that he set in Ephesians 4 was the goal of maturity, that they as a church should grow to maturity in Christ, as the body of Christ. Now, what do you think about that goal? And how does that help us to understand who we are and who we want to be? Well, as we flip open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, I think it's worth thinking about what the word church means for a few moments. Uh, when you read the word church in your Bibles, it does not mean building. Uh, when you read the word church in your Bibles, it does not mean denomination. Or general assembly uh, it actually means a gathering a gathering uh, the original word that Paul uh, that, that is used in the Bible is the word ecclesia has anyone ever heard that word before it's a Greek word uh, ecclesia uh, it literally means uh, ek out of uh, kaleo is the root word uh, called to be called it means uh, out of called or called out of. And at the time of the Bible, it came to refer to a gathering. And the reason for that was because when they wanted to gather people together for a town meeting or sometimes to join the army, uh, they would call out. They would call for people to come out and to therefore be gathered and so that's where you get the word uh, ecclesia from. It's why it means an assembly. It's a called out 
in order to assemble. Um, we too are an ecclesia. We too are a gathering. And we are a gathering because of what God has done for us. Uh, you see in chapter 4, verse 1, what does Paul urge the church in Ephesus to do? He says, uh, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life of the, what does it say? Of the calling that you have received. God has called us. God has called us out. Uh, he's called us out of sin. He's called us out of judgment. He's called us out of the dominion of the evil one in order that we would be gathered as the new, the redeemed people of God. And that's what church is. Actually, in the Bible, the word church uh, can be used for two different um, types of gathering. Uh, firstly, there is the great heavenly There is the, uh, the, the great uh, gathering in heaven of, of all people from all time, from all places, who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're a part of. That's what we long for. But that is reflected in the local community of uh, Christians who gather. Uh, in the local community such as in Ephesus or the local community uh, such as us here. So in the Bible, when it talks about the church, it's every local gathering. We are the church. We're not part of the church. We are the church. That's how it's used in the Bible. And God calls all sorts of people into his new community. Think about the little church in Ephesus. <clears throat> it wasn't the most natural blend of people, to be perfectly honest, because you've got Jews and you've got Gentiles, people who've been separated from one another religiously for, for centuries... Uh, very different ways of thinking, very different ways of doing things. But now they're all in it together. They've been called out in order to be gathered together. Remember back in chapter 2, Paul, when he was addressing that issue, uh, said that uh, the Jews and Gentiles are now fellow citizens, joint heirs and members of God's household together. Do you reckon they might have had the occasional relationship problem or stress and tension in their, their church? You know what they say about the perfect church, don't you? If you find it, what's the one thing you shouldn't do? Join it. <laughs> because if you join it, you'll ruin it. <laughs> in, a, in a sinful world, you know, when people rub shoulders with one another in, in relationship, you're going to get tensions, you're going to get stresses. And when people... Are, when, when culturally... Uh, and personality, we're not homogenous, a group, then that will actually add to it. But it also enriches it. Of course, they occasionally clashed. And that's why in verse 2, Paul had to spell out what it means to live a life which is worthy of the calling that they have received. And it's about love. You see that? In verse 2, he says to them, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in, in love. Right? Now, if that came naturally to them, he wouldn't have to say it, would he? 
By the way, uh, when is it hard to be humble? There's a song about that, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. Uh, would you like to come and sing it for us, Barbara? No, okay. I, I won't sing it for you. It, it's, a, also, it's a bit before my time, I might add, but uh, it says, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. How about that? When is it hard to be humble? Well, maybe when you think more highly of yourself than you ought. When is it hard to be humble? Well, it's when pride gets in the way. Uh, it's when we think, well, it's actually all about me. It's not about the other person. It's hard to be humble when our attitude is so self-centred that we think, well, I'm always right and that other person, they're wrong. Or when we think, well, you know what, I reckon I could be doing that ministry job better than the person who is doing it. Which is the case. But very often in the church, the... The gentleness and the humility, the love by which we treat one another is actually far more important than the ministry activity that we're doing. Far more important. Far more important. Uh, we might do a particular job brilliantly, but if in the process we treat others unlovingly, then we're actually not living uh, in a way which is worthy of the calling that we've received because we've been brought out of selfishness uh, into the selflessness that is involved in being part of the body of Christ. And Paul says that we should bear with one another in love. I think that's worthwhile teasing out, isn't it, what it means to bear with one another because uh, in any church we will all be at different stages in our spiritual and in our personal development and because of that we can sometimes frustrate one another uh, bearing with each other means that we will take each other where we are at and that we will patiently help the other person to make small steps forward in terms of their spiritual life in terms of their faith and their personal development which is very different, isn't it, to looking down on each other. It's very different to criticising and complaining and being divisive. It's very, very different. It's about unity. Now, why should we be committed to unity? Well, it's pretty simple, really. In verses 3 through to 6, uh, you'll notice that the word one appears seven times. Um, Paul says that there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. I think that's seven, isn't it? He mentions the word one, seven. You, you get the idea that one is therefore important, don't you? There is, there is, one, there is one spirit, he says. So if we are people who trust in Jesus then that is because the Holy Spirit has actually changed our hearts. That the Holy Spirit is in us. And so the, the same Spirit who is in Gillian uh, is also in Nancy. The same Spirit that's in Nancy is also in Nye. The same Spirit that's in Nye is also in Peter. The same Spirit that's in Peter is in Jordan. If, 
this, it is the Holy Spirit who has changed our hearts and dwells within us and it's the same Spirit. He is the same Spirit. And so therefore, we are, there is one Spirit. We are therefore united. We ought to be united. Uh, there is not one hope which is for Gentile Christians and a different hope for a different future for Jewish Christians. Uh, there is not one hope for rich Christians and another hope for poor Christians. There is not one hope for different kinds, some kinds of Christians and another hope for other kinds of Christians. There's only one hope. There is only one future and that is the great heavenly ecclesia of all people from all time, from all places, from all races, from all languages, from all social and economic groups, from all educational backgrounds, from who trust in Jesus, whom God has called out of darkness in order to be gathered as his people. There's one spirit, there's one hope. Uh, in verse 4, Paul describes us as being one body, where Christ is the head of the body, but we are the body. And within the body, there is a, uh, there is a unity but there is a, a diversity. We're all different parts of the body and not all the parts are the same as one another. If they were, you wouldn't actually have a body, would you? <laughs> right? There is a rich diversity within the Bible, within the, within the body. You know, I, I walked into Bible study group the other night at um, the Dowling's place and it was obvious what they had eaten for dinner that evening because the aroma was filling the house. They'd had a roast. And you could just, I, I could almost taste it. You know, the, the aroma of the, of the roast beef and, uh, and the, the rich gravy and, the, and the, um, the mint sauce and the potatoes that must have been so crusty on the outside and soft on the inside and the pumpkin that would have tasted so sweet and uh, we nearly cancelled Bible study. <laughs> but I said to the Bible study group, look, how about if Catherine had made all of that and then she got out the blender and put it all through the blender and turned it into puree? Be the same ingredients, wouldn't it? But no diversity. It wouldn't work at all, would it? And the body of Christ is like that. We are we are united in the sense that we have the same spirit, but we are diverse in terms of we're different parts of the same body. In Christ's body, there is unity, but there is diversity. Uh, God has made us all different so that we can contribute a different part to the overall well-being of the rest of the body. So if you have a look in verse uh, 7, for example, in verse 7 he says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And that's why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens 
in order to fill the whole universe. And so Christ is the one who has left the heavenly realms and he has entered into our world. He's been, become one of us. But then he has been victorious over death. He has ascended. He has been resurrected and ascended so that he is now uh, seated at the right hand of God the Father. In that sense, he fills the whole universe. And it is he who, from whom has, 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 has sent the Holy Spirit. In verse 7 there, Paul uh, quotes from Psalm 68, which is a picture of uh, an ancient victorious king who uh, arrives back uh, with uh, gifts, with the spoils of battle that he uh, disperses to his people. And Paul says that Jesus is just like that, that the risen Jesus has poured out gifts to each one of us and so if you were a Christian, then God has made you a part of this body uh, in or- and he's given you an ability and in order to serve the rest of the body. Notice it's not about rights. It's not about, I have this gift, therefore I must serve. It's about the benefit of the rest of the body. So if it is helpful, this is what I will do in order to serve. Uh, in verse 11... Paul mentions some specific gifts. He he says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Notice that the gifts here are actually people, that he gives certain people to the church. Uh, God has given us the prophets and the apostles who, who have written the scriptures. Uh, God has given us evangelists and pastors, teachers who help us to understand the gospel and understand the scriptures. These are the gifts God gives to the church. But who does the ministry? Uh, Who does the works of service? Is it just the pastor? No, it's all of us, isn't it? The role of the pastor teacher is to prepare God's people for works of service. And so my primary task is to pray and to study the scriptures and to expound the scriptures in various contexts, uh, to teach sound doctrine and to be able to refute false doctrine uh, so that uh, the church, the body of Christ, is nourished and so that each of us grows in our understanding so that we then become equipped to know the truth so that we can teach and pastor each other into, into greater maturity. And we do that in all sorts of contexts, don't we? In our personal relationships, uh, in our small groups, uh, in our families. We nourish each other in the gospel so that the body of Christ is built up. Until, as Paul says in verse 13, that uh, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God 
and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That's the kind of church we want to be. I once pastored a church where the minister before me, who'd been the minister there for 17 years, uh, he did not believe that the Bible was the word of God. Now, there was great diversity. Uh, when I arrived in that church and started to get to know the situation, I discovered that there was great diversity in that church. Uh, it wasn't so much a diversity in personalities and backgrounds of people. They're all fairly similar, actually. But there was great diversity of beliefs about God, about who he is or who she is, about what he is like or what she is like. Uh, there was great diversity of belief about Jesus, why he came, about what he did on the cross, about whether that actually mattered. There was great diversity of belief about what it means to be a Christian and the necessity for faith and repentance. It was a very diverse church. People were free to believe what they wanted to believe, um, except me. Apparently, I wasn't free to believe whatever I wanted to believe. <laughs> I kept on stepping on landmines as I just taught stuff that I thought was just basic to what the Bible's actually saying. Right? See, that was not a mature church. That was a, it was a baby church. It was an infant church, which actually had some very lovely people in it. And over a couple of years, as we did expound the scriptures and teach the gospel, praise God, there were a number of people who, uh, who came to faith in Jesus and understood the gospel for the first time. But God's goal for the church is not to be like that. God's, God, God's goal for the church, for our church, is that his truth should be taught with such clarity that error should be refuted so boldly that the gospel would become the DNA of the church, that the gospel would so shape our thinking about God and would so permeate our lives that although we are relatively diverse with our different personalities, with our different backgrounds, with our different traditions and different gifts, that although there is that diversity that we would actually be as one, that we would be united as one body in the gospel. And that's the key thing about Christian unity. I've been invited to events where ministers have gotten together and we've been told it's all about Christian unity and then I've been told that we're not allowed to talk about doctrine because once we start talking about doctrine, we won't have any more unity. That's not a unity that's based on the gospel, is it? That's a unity that's based on the desire for unity. But true Christian unity is unity uh, in terms of our beliefs about God, about his gospel, about what it means to be a Christian. And when the gospel forms the DNA of the church, 
then it's very powerful. Because a church like that is very stable. It's very reliable. Uh, in verse 14, Paul says that, that that's the kind of church which is like a ship which is, is going to arrive at the right destination as opposed to the boat that keeps on getting blown off course uh, by every wind of, of false teaching that sweeps through uh, the churches. Uh, instead, in verse 16, it's like a body which is healthy and which is growing uh, into maturity. Where Christ is the head of the body and each member of the church engages and contributes in love to the rest of the body. The body feeds itself, uh, which means that we're, we're all growing together. We're all growing together. Someone said to me, well, how do you grow a church? And I said, well, how do you grow your children? You feed and you nourish, don't you? You feed and you care. And that's what you do. So how is church going? Well, when I'm asked that question about us, <clears throat> I am very uh, able to say that, praise God, I think that there is great unity in the gospel in our church. Uh, that we may have our small disagreements from time to time, <clears throat> occasionally rub, rub each other up the wrong way and so on. Small disagreements which we should be working through with humility, with uh, patience. But we're not divided. We're not divided on the important uh, issues of faith, such as the authority of Scripture. We're not divided on the doctrine of Christ, uh, his deity, uh, his atoning work on the cross, his physical resurrection from the dead, uh, his coming again in judgment and power. We're not divided on those things. Uh, we're not divided on what it means to be a Christian, the necessity to put your trust in Jesus and to repent and to trust wholly in him and not in good works. We're not divided on those things. Uh, instead, what I see is the body of Christ here on Sundays uh, actually hungry for God's word. Uh, I see the body of Christ during the week um, engaging with each other and teaching each other through the various small groups and on individual bases. I see the gospel being taken out to literally hundreds of students in schools every week of the school term in primary schools and in high schools through people who are a part of the body of Christ. I see that happening. And I see mums and dads who are so obviously teaching their children uh, the word of God at home because that, ref that is reflected in the maturity of some of the young people and the children uh, in our church. I love it when the kids come up to me after a service and say, Scott, let me tell you what I got out of the sermon today. I love it even more uh, when they've come up to me and say, Scott, um, I was just thinking about that sermon, about what you said. I think you, what you said wasn't exactly what the Bible says on this particular point. It's happened a few times. And I 
far from being threatened by that, I think, wow, that's amazing. That's wonderful. And when I've gone home, I've checked and they've found, found that they're correct as well. This is beautiful. This is, uh, this is what we want to be seeing happening. We want to see the body of Christ feeding and nourishing each other uh, so that we would actually be growing up uh, into maturity and building ourselves up as, we, as each part of the body in love does its work. So my message today is that let's not be complacent. Uh, let's not assume that that will always be the case. Not, let's not assume that we've arrived. We haven't. We need to keep on working at that. We need to keep on working to ensure that the gospel is the DNA of our church and that when foreign bodies in terms of false teaching comes in, it gets expelled. <laughs> That's the kind of church we want to have. We want to be a church that arrives at the destination, that is thoroughly immersed in the gospel, that the gospel is our DNA and uh, encourage and keep on encouraging each other in that. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we want to thank you for uh, your gospel. We thank you that it is so clear and uh, we thank you that uh, you speak through your word. We pray that your word would be permeating each of our lives individually, that it would permeate our church uh, and that we would be working hard to be encouraging and building each other up in the great truths of the faith. And so we pray that in order that we would be honouring and glorifying to you. And we look forward, Lord God, to that day when we will be gathered together with all of the saints from all places, from all time, around your throne because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.